<laughs> All right. All right, guys, grab a seat. Good to see everyone. All right. So uh, today we're, we're beginning a new series called Paradigm Shift. And it's going to go for four weeks, I think. Maybe it'll go longer. Depends on where we're at at the end of the four weeks. But today, uh, the title of the message is called Sinking Ship. Next week, we'll be reimagining church. Third week, kingdom economics. And then the final week will be an invitation to be a part of this new paradigm shift. And then the plan, just kind of giving you a little roadmap of where we're going for the next few months. Um, March and April, I'm thinking about taking a kind of a skip through the, the gospel of Mark and lead us right up to Easter. Uh, obviously, it won't be super in-depth because it would be probably six messages or seven messages, uh, more of a survey, I guess. But we'll kind of run through the, the gospel of Mark and bring us up to Easter. Um, also, in March, the first Wednesday in March is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent. And it's also the Wednesday where we're going to begin gathering here uh, just to get into the Word of God uh, for a little bit and then break into small groups and do some prayer. Uh, so I'm looking forward, looking forward to that. Also on those uh, Wednesday evenings, we are going to do a class called Elements, which will be designed for, designed for new Christians, uh, even people who are still thinking about Christianity. I think it would be good for that person as well, or just someone who has gotten sort of a potpourri of theology through the years and you just really want to get solid and want to walk through the basic foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, uh, there's a need for that. I did that way back in the day uh, just to kind of go through what, what do we really believe? Uh, so yeah, we're going to start that on March 2nd as well. Just to let you know, uh, we're kind of staggered a little bit this year. Usually we, uh, I think we usually form the core membership in February. Uh, this year we're waiting until March just because of, you know, the pandemic and kind of put us, put everything off a little bit. But just be thinking about that, that core membership, and I'll talk more about that uh, during the series, but core membership will be formed by March 1st. That's the, the goal, the 2022 core. And for those that don't know, we basically do, uh, do it fresh each year. So if you were a core member last year, it, it, it kind of expires, and we ask for a renewal of your commitment for the new year. Uh, so that'll happen by March 1st. Um, all right, well, that's it for the information. I'm excited to do this series. I've thought about this for hundreds of hours, 
in the last year, the last two years, really through the pandemic. Uh, so this will be a challenge to pack it all in to just a few, four messages. But hopefully it'll get you thinking, it'll get us moving in a direction, put us on a trajectory of kind of a new way of doing church. So my overall aim for this talk today is to awaken us to the reality that the American church model is deficient. And unless we make changes, we will die. Things that die often decline slowly over time. And if we're going to have the courage to dismantle or even blow up parts of the traditional church model, this dying model, then we need to be convinced of the need for change. And so that's my aim today, to persuade us that unless we make some serious changes in the coming days, we will slowly fade away. I don't want to fade away in the 21st century. I don't want to fade away in the next decade. I want to flourish. I want to grow. I want to reach more people in the next decade, in the next 20 years than we ever have before. So like I said, this series is called Paradigm Shift. And if you aren't sure what the phrase means, I'll give you a definition. Well, paradigm, the word paradigm just means a typical example or pattern of something, a model. In other words, an approach or a way of doing something, a way of thinking. So paradigm shift would be an important change that happens when the usual way of thinking about or doing something is replaced by a new and a different way. It's a new way of doing something. And so for us, we're talking about how we sort of do church, the approach, the models, the structure of how we kind of make this happen. The title of uh, this message today is called Sinking Ship. I had a few different titles I was going with. One was Change or Die. And I was like worried that my wife was going to ask me, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I just couldn't give her that answer. Um, yeah, it's a message called Change or Die. Um, and she would just give me the, the face. And then I, I would know I would have to change it. But sinking ship, I guess, isn't that much better. But... If we're on a sinking ship, the urgent thing, right, would be to get out and get onto a new vessel as quickly as possible. Even a tiny raft would be better than an expensive, beautiful yacht. The sinking ship is a metaphor of the present-day American evangelical church model it's sinking, and we better jump off onto a different model that will keep us afloat in the 21st century. 
Now, we all know that just models in general, uh, they die out. They don't work uh, because times change. I'll give you a few examples. One that came to mind was the arcade, the mall arcade. When I was a kid in the 70s and the early 80s, the mall was, it was like the whole high school was at the mall. And the mall arcade, you had to wait in line for a long time, even just to, to play a particular game. It was incredible. Now, there used to be an arcade at the Warwick Mall. <laughs> and I would walk by it, you know, and think, like, nobody's even in there. There'd be like five kids in there. Um, and then now it's gone because, you know, it's just, it's extinct. It went away. The model isn't needed anymore. But listen, have video games gone out of style? No, not at all. Uh, young people and old people too love video games. Video games, the quality of them is so much better than it was in the 70s and 80s. So video games have not gone out of style. They're probably more popular than ever. But the model of the mall arcade is pretty much dead. If they do still exist, they, they exist on the, the pure fuel of nostalgia, right? How about blockbusters? I mean, there was a time where you could go every five miles, there's a blockbusters, you know, it seemed like. And that's on a Friday night, it was packed. People getting their movies, uh, you know, Saturday nights, it was packed, it was exciting, get your popcorn there. It's just, it was like a party at Blockbusters. And then slowly, other thing, Redbox came and streaming movies and all this stuff. And they just slowly declined and, and died. I think the last one was like on Park Ave, right? You know, and it just, they disappeared. But listen, have movies gone away? Not at all. Movies are more popular than ever. It's just the model of the brick-and-mortar store that you go to to get your movie. It's a dead model. It's not needed anymore. Why? Because the times have changed. How about the paper? For those who are older, know what I'm talking about. Just... The paper. Where's the paper? What do you mean, the paper? The newspaper that comes every single day to your door. Now, I know some people still get the paper newspaper, but, you know, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, uh, that was like a good job, you know, like delivering the newspapers. It was always like the kid that was making a lot of money by just delivering the newspapers and getting good tips and all that. Um, I can't even remember the last time I saw a kid delivering a newspaper. I can't even remember seeing a car drive by and huck a New York Times at somebody's house. I mean, that, that happened like 20 years ago. I kind of remember that. Uh, they're still getting a paper, you know, a paper, paper. But are people still into the news? Absolutely. We probably read more news now than we ever have as, as a society. But the uh, physical paper, even Bibles, we could go there, right? 
Uh, how many people use paper Bibles still? Raise your hand. All right. All right. It's a few, about maybe a third or a half. But they are kind of becoming extinct. I think there's kind of something about the paper Bible. It gives you a little bit more control. It's just a different experience. But we could say, um, well, there's other examples too. I was thinking about Xerox. Uh, when My dad worked for Xerox for many, many years. And it, they were huge in the 70s and I think in the 80s as well because... You know, printing had to be done. Everything was on paper. You know, it's paperwork. All these corporations have, everything has to be printed and filed and file cabinets. And so the Xerox would sell these giant printers that people would, you know, these companies would have. And my dad would kind of, you know, sell to these big companies. I think his customer was Aetna, if I remember right. It was like a huge thing. And then... All of a sudden, you know, there's Google Docs and everything's online and everything's digital and there's not a need for a lot of filing cabinets and printing. And then if you do need printing, you just kind of outsource it and, and just contact the printer down the road who can do it for much cheaper than owning this giant printer that takes up room in the office. Do people still need printing? Yeah, they do. Maybe not as much, but it's still a thing. There's still a lot of print that happens, but the model of purchasing a giant printer for your company to have like, you know, in an office somewhere is just not needed. So these principles apply to church as well, right? You know, it seems like in the business world, the companies that adapt that kind of pivot with the times are the ones that survive and the ones that like, this is what we did, you know, starting in, <laughs> you know, 1932 and we're not changing because this, it was good in 1932 and it's still good now. Those are the ones that I guess through their stubbornness um, end up fading away. And it certainly applies to church models as well. Well, the world is changing at a rapid pace, exponentially. It's just the change is so incredible that we can't even process it on, in so many different arenas of life, not just in the United States, but really in the world. But I just want to focus on New England and focus on some of the changes that kind of relate to how we would do church. But here's some of the changes. If we go back 100 years, 150 years in, in New England, in your New England towns, here's some of the realities. People lived in one place. They worked pretty much one job. You know, you were a blacksmith. That's what you did. You know, you were a farmer. You, you had one job and you worked it for your entire life. Maybe your dad even mentored you and you know you took over the family business everyone knew everyone in the town there might have been 200 people in the town 400 people whatever but everyone kind of knew everyone because you nobody moved 
You stayed in one place. And you were with these people for decades. The families knew each other. People attended church locally. Nobody was driving 45 minutes <laughs> to go to a church in like you know, three towns over. Uh, they just didn't do that. It was like, this is our church. And you know, if you go through the New England towns, usually you'll see the big congregational, usually you know, white steeple church in the middle of the town, usually sort of on the quad. And it was like the centerpiece of the town back in the day. It was the center of life in the town. Uh, so people attended a church, the church locally. And maybe, you know, over time there was more than one, depending on how developed a town was or city or whatever. But you might have had a few choices, but not a lot, not a lot. Church relationships were deep. Pastors stayed in one place. Uh, you didn't get like a new pastor every five years or new youth pastor every year. I think the average youth pastor stays like a year. <laughs> um, you know, which is exhausting, right? You know, just having new pastors all the time. So the people stayed in one place. The pastor stayed in one place. There was a depth there to that uh, pastor-people relationship. Uh, the word of God was received at church on Sunday. Uh, as opposed to today, well, <laughs> we don't even really need to go to church on Sunday to get the word because we have the internet we don't have to listen to Pastor Scott. I mean, he's not that good. I mean, we can listen to uh, John Piper or Francis Chan or Craig Rochelle or any just any a number of these amazing world-class preachers and speakers. We have access all day, 24 hours a day. When we're running on our bikes at work, you know, if we're doing something, painting a fence, we can be listening to these sermons. So we can get our messages anywhere. Any time, right? But back then, it was the church where you got the word of God. Worship also happened at the church. <laughs> now, wow. I mean, they probably worshiped in their homes too, a little family worship or whatever. But now, I mean, we have access to thousands and thousands of amazing Christian songs. And we, can, we have access to videos. We can go on YouTube and just create a playlist of amazing live worship video footage. We can do that all day long, actually. But they didn't have that. So coming together with the people of God was really important. On, on this Sunday, when they gathered on Sunday, it was a... It was huge. It was like, this is worship. This is where we worship God together. And it was valued. Church had a profound influence on culture. And this traditional model of church, it worked. It worked. Relationships were not shallow in the church. Even though probably... Uh, I haven't done my research on this, but I kind of get the feeling that they weren't meeting, you know, like the, the local church, so your typical congregational church that was in the center of town. I don't think that they had like 
a menu of like all of these crazy programs and oh you know like this event and that event and you know five different things that you could go to each week i don't really think they did that i think they had like sunday morning worship and that was it and then what did the pastor do during the week he visited people in their homes you know, there were small group meetings. People saw each other all day long. They worked long, hard days. And in the evenings, they spent time with their families. There was already relationship. They didn't, the church didn't need to come up with like all of these programs to try to get people to, to know each other, right? <laughs> they didn't need to do that because the people already knew each other. They lived life together already. So the model of coming together once a week to hear the word of God and sing some songs, it worked because of the way culture was. Really, I mean, talking about the first 1900 years of the church were kind of like that. But the world is different now. So we have to step back and really think about these things. And I think the pandemic, for me, and I think for a lot of pastors, sort of did that. The pandemic slowed us down enough to say, what are we, what are we doing here? What, why, why, are we, why are we doing all these things? All of a sudden, the normal way of doing things, like we actually couldn't do those things, so it forced us to quickly rethink and pivot and adapt and all that. We, we kind of were forced to do that. Um, the pandemic was sort of like, like an earthquake that shook the model. Think about like in architecture, you know, the buildings look good, the structure looks pretty good, but an earthquake really tests the strength of a structure. And that's kind of what happened during the pandemic. It was like an earthquake, and we noticed that there were parts of the structure that crumbled pretty quickly. And so it was revealing uh, who we really were. And I'm speaking of us, Wren Church, but also just the church at large. So I want to just get honest with my talk this morning and just think about uh, the state of things, the church at large in America, especially New England, because this is where I'm from, it's where you're, you are now. What is our mission? It's to go into all the world and make disciples, right? This is the essential mission of the church. Maybe our purpose in life we exist to worship God, to bring great glory to him. But our mission as a church is to go and pull people out of darkness and train them, equip them to walk with God. That is the purpose of the church, has always been the purpose of the church for 2,000 years, no matter where you are on the face of the planet. So the model must serve the mission. Well, how is that going? 
Well, here's the reality. The numbers of church attenders is declining more and more each year. And you say, well, it's a pandemic. No, 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 no. It's not because of the pandemic. This has been going on for years. So the things that I'm talking about are even true uh, pre-pandemic. But the pandemic is definitely making it worse. But the numbers are declining. Less and less people are attending church. And actually, they are attending, those who do attend, attend less and less. And again, this is pre-pandemic. The average is about twice a month. Believers, and this is, I'm going by reputable, there's research groups out there like Barna. Um, there's a lot of really good research that is, is done to determine these numbers. And there's books written that kind of bring all the different research groups together, kind of compare and contrast. So you, you get a very accurate uh, idea of what's really happening. <laughs> One book that I was reading was talking about how the evangelical church is so guilty of over-inflating their numbers, of just, we think that we are so much bigger than we actually are in reality. Like the numbers of serious Bible-believing followers of Jesus, the percentage in the United States is very small. Even though people will say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Bible-believer, I'm, you know, they check boxes all day long, but that's not actually the reality. And then New England, it's even worse. Probably 2 to 3% of the population would be in a category of serious follower of Jesus, Bible-believing Christian. So the numbers are declining every single year. And then believers, people who attend churches, are more and more not even believing the basic doctrines of the Bible. Few share their faith. The church has become divided over so many different things. And we saw that exasperated during the pandemic about masks and all these different, you know, vaccination and racism and just so many different things that just, it's so divided right now. Society is getting more and more hostile. Now, I know there are people that swing way too far on one side and think that, eh, it's all a bunch of baloney. I don't feel any hostility toward the, you know, from the culture. And then some people swing the other way too far and there's like, oh, you know, I'm under persecution. Everybody's persecuting me. You know, I know there's extremes on both sides, but just really kind of looking at it, the culture has changed. I mean, think about from the Billy Graham era where pastors and Bible-believing Christians were respected and they were, it was just value. Even the Bible was respected. Even if you didn't believe it, it was respected. But little by little, that has been eroded. And now we're in a place where to even, it's getting to a point where to even believe in the scriptures in a serious way, especially to believe an orthodox view of sexuality. 
puts you in a category of being uh, just a jerk, a bigot. You know, you're just, you're a hateful individual. You can talk about love all day long, but you, you hate people because of how you think. And that, that's where it's going. And it's not getting better. <laughs> I pay close attention to this, and every single year, it gets, it gets more intense. And I don't see it turning around anytime soon. And I think because of the hostility that is beginning, we're beginning to feel, it's making it harder to share our faith. Christians aren't sharing their faith as much. And people are falling away like crazy. I can't even tell you how many people I've watched fall away from the faith. And many of them don't even identify as Christian anymore. I'm talking about people who I thought were like all in, serious Christians. They're not even identifying as Christians anymore. And probably many of you can think of people in your circles that would fall into that category. Churches are straying theologically all over the map from like the health and wealth gospel to just easy believism to let's believe half of the Bible and you know cut out the other half of the Bible. Let's get rid of miracles. Let's get rid of... There's just so much perversion and twisting of scripture happening in this country in the name of Christianity. It is a mess. And the evangelical segment of the church has really, you know, has a reputation of being, well, okay, this is the, the, the group that is taking the Bible seriously. But even that group is now getting off in so many different directions theologically. Churches are financially floundering. Statistics show that the overwhelming, I think it's almost half of the money that comes in uh, actually, I think it's more than that, are, is coming from the older generations. And guess what? The older generations aren't going to be here forever. Because those are the, they're the givers. They're the ones that are more traditional about that. They give their money to the church. They're going to die. I'm going to die. And my tithe dies with me. You know, so the older generations are fading out and statistics are showing that Every single year, churches are generating less and less money. Now, that hasn't been true for us. As a, We're kind of more of an anomaly, especially during the pandemic. I don't know how we flourished financially and actually built up a cushion uh, during the pandemic. That's credit to, to you guys and just other people who aren't here. But, you know, this community, wow. Um, it's impressive, but that is, that is not typical. And the day is going to come when it's going to be hard for pastors to even make a living from church work. There's going to be a lot of unemployed pastors. Mark it down. Then there's the big Sunday show trend. All right, this is kind of looking at the model. Let's think about this model for a minute. This is what's sort of popular these days. Um, you know, the fancy building with all the amenities, uh, the dynamic, charismatic speaker who's funny and entertaining 
This is what's popular. The dynamic worship, you know, maybe even smoke machines and just, you know, state-of-the-art equipment. This is kind of the thing that's, that is working. Even as the church at large is in decline, there are these certain churches, kind of mega churches or mega-like churches, even though they be small, uh, that seem to be still succeeding, right? Am I right with that? Isn't that what's popular these days, right? The Hillsong kind of worship and the, and listen, like, you know, I, that's what we've done pretty much. We've tried to, you know, that's, that's the standard. You go to a conference and, you know, you have these conference speakers and these, you know, fastest growing church in America, uh, pastor who gets up and talks about his story and you're like, oh, that's it. That's what we know. We need to do that. You know, we need the, we need the band. We need the, the cool building. We need the, you know, all the stuff. You know, I need to be a better speaker. And, you know, you kind of get this whole vision of what it is, right? And that, that's what we're going to do. And we've tried to do it, you know, maybe in an average fashion over 20 years. But that's what's kind of trending. You know, that's what's, even as things are declining, that's what's working. That's the, you know, the pop model. Well, if I can just blow that up for a minute. Have you ever seen a documentary about Walmart? There's a few of them. They're disturbing. It'll be like uh, this beautiful little town, you know, with farms and little hardware stores and little cute businesses that mom and pop, you know, nurtured for decades and then Walmart comes in and you know what happens? They kill all of these small mom and pop local businesses within like a five mile radius. They dry up because these little businesses, they can't compete with Walmart and the prices that are so low at Walmart, so they just dry up. It's really sad, actually. If you're, I mean, my mom owned her own business for years, a small gift shop in a small town, basically. So I'm very passionate about just local businesses, so it kind of makes me mad. But that's what happens. And listen, the exact same thing happens in the church world. The church comes in, the big church, the cool building, the, you know, the state-of-the-art sound system, the dynamic preaching, and you know what happens? People from all of the small churches where the preaching is average and the worship is not so great and the building is kind of outdated and all those kinds of, they just start looking for something better. Ooh, this is shiny. This is cool. Oh, yeah. I want this. I'm done with my little lame church. I'm going to this cool, big, state-of-the-art, mega-type church. 
And so the growth of the, you know, mega cool church, it's not real growth. Now, I'm not saying nobody becomes a follower of Jesus or they're not reaching anybody, but often it's mainly transfer growth. And actually, all this money that goes into the building and the paying all the big pastoral staff, the huge staff that they have, all of that money is actually being spent in such a way that is harming small churches. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to hurt any small churches. I don't want to be that mega church. I don't want to be the Walmart. I don't want to hear that from the Lord on the day of judgment, you know? Yeah, you were kind of like the Walmart church. You basically caused 17 other churches to shut down because, you know, you did it bigger and better and slicker than all the other churches in the area. This is not business. You know, this is not dog eat dog. We're the kingdom of God. We are one church in Providence. I mean, those who know me, you know I'm a huge fan and supporter of all the local church plants, and I love those guys. I would never want to hurt any of them. You know, sometimes people will come from those little churches to, uh, you know, to our services and end up talking with me. And I'm like, go back. (laughs) I've tried to get rid of some of you. And, you know, we've had, you know, to, you know, just go, you know, go help these church plants. You know, we don't want to hurt church plants. I know what it's like to be a church planter. We want to help them. Anyway, so I'll keep going. Relationships in this present church model can be very shallow. Uh, there's reasons for it. Everybody's busy. Like the typical person now is so like working two jobs, you know, dad's working, mom's working. It's just no free time. Everybody's just strapped for time. Travel. Now, right, this is a new thing. We can travel anywhere. We can go anywhere. We can go away for the weekend. We travel to see our family members. We're going here. We're going there. We're going up to Boston for the day. We're, because we can travel anywhere. It makes us more busy, and it makes our relationships more shallow, transient. People don't stay in one place anymore, right? They're here for, especially Providence, they're here for like two years. Oh, they're gone. Okay. They're here for four years. They're gone. So we get that kind of coming and going, coming and going all the time. That creates, it puts strain on relationships, doesn't it? Um, it makes relationships shallow. You got to start all over again. You know, every few years, it feels like. Our circles of relationship uh, can be quite large. I mean, even when I was a kid, it felt like, I don't know, I had like a few friends and then a few people who I knew from, like, the soccer team or whatever, you know, had some acquaintances at the high school, but just had a few friends. Uh, now it's like we have hundreds of Facebook friends and social media people, and we're, because of our traveling, we're just like, we have circles of friendships all over the place. It's so hard to keep up with. And then the transient thing is hard, because, we, you know, like, you get to know somebody really deep for, like, four years, 
but then they move. What do you, you but you want to like keep up with that relationship? So, you know, like you have them over, you maybe visit them, you try to keep it. It is overwhelming to keep up with it all. Anyways, but the church, the big Sunday church model is basically a spectator sport, right? I mean, what are you doing right now? You're listening. You're receiving. When we had the music up here, you're, it's not that it's a bad thing at all, but it's pretty much, if all you're doing is attending church a couple times a month and you're listening to a sermon and singing some songs, this is the, where are you interacting? Like, where are you, there's no body ministry. You're not giving anything to the community. I'm not talking about money. I'm just saying, like, your life, your relationship with God. It's not enough. People fall through the cracks. Little effort goes into making disciples with the American church model. I would say 90% of the resources are spent inward, right? On buildings, on cool renovations inside the building, on new chairs, on you know pastoral staff that mainly exists to serve the people and bless the people, right? Sound equipment is for us. Everything's for us. You know, 90% probably of the money that comes in for Ren Church, it's a lot of money. It's several hundred thousand dollars a year that comes in. Most of it is spent on, on us, making our church, our experience wonderful to bless us. I'm being a little snarky, I guess. And then for many churches, then, you know, maybe the 5% of the money goes like overseas, which is great. You know, we should be supporting global missions and that's awesome and there's need over there. But often your typical church, even if there's great giving, great generosity, a lot of money coming in, the surrounding secular world doesn't feel that. They don't get the blessing of the generosity of the church because the giving of the church is spent mostly on the church. I mean, we can't argue with that. It's just, that's how it is in most churches. The model is very expensive. Building projects are massively expensive. Vocational pastors you know, to have a full-time pastor uh, and pay that pastor so he can support his family. Listen, it's not cheap. I'm expensive. <laughs> you know, with health insurance and benefit, all these things, I'm expensive. I even think about the, the church planting model that, you know, we've been doing Ren for almost 20 years, and I've watched so many pastors uh, come into the city and try to plant a church. You know, they go at it for three years or four or five years, and then, they, then they're gone. And like, what is the amount of money that it takes per year to support a church plant pastor and his family 
And also, you know, they need outreach money and maybe an office and, you know, they need to rent a facility. I mean, you're talking about at least $100,000 a year. So I've watched church planters come in and really spend, and I'm not criticizing the church planters, but we're talking about and they all come in. They're trying to do basically what the mega church, They're trying to have a gathering, have the state-of-the-art worship, have the cool worship, have the dynamic preaching, have the awesome building. They're trying to do that, even though there's already a million of those. Um, they're trying to do another one. And so in the course of maybe five years, that's a lot of money. That's a half a million dollars. I have watched in the last 20 years millions of dollars wasted on this model that doesn't work. Now, do some work? Yeah. Do some church plants make it and survive? Yeah, they do. But overall, they're not work. I can tell you, I could go so far into that because I know people who oversee church plant movements, like within different denominations and stuff, and how many failed church plant efforts there have been through the years. Because it all comes down to this model. This is the model. The, you know, the, the cool building, the dynamic speaker, the awesome worship. You know, we're trying to make that happen. And it's very expensive to make that happen. But it's not working. That's the crazy thing. Even if it was expensive, if it was like working like a charm and like so many people were coming to the Lord, then fine, that's fine, right? We'll spend the money. We're not afraid to spend money to reach people. It's not, it's not the point, you know? Our goal is not to be frugal, just to be frugal. Like we, if, we're, if it'll bear fruit, then let's spend it. But here's the reality. 16 to maybe I'll say 18 to 29-year-olds are dropping out of the church like crazy. Again, statistics, probably the average is saying that 70% are going to be completely out of the church by the time they're 29. So this present church model that we love so much, right, it's actually not working in, in, in discipling our children. They're leaving. There's something about this present model that when kids get to 18, 19, 20, 22, they're, they're like done with it. They're like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, we could get into children's church models and how, I mean, this is a relatively new concept that we... Uh, the church people come on Sunday morning, and I know we're doing it this morning, but, you know, we separate the children, uh, put them in their separate spaces because, you know, we don't want to be distracted when we're listening to the sermon or doing worship. This is just, this is a new phenomenon. For thousands, well, hundreds, 1,900 years, whatever, you didn't have that. Families worship together. Actually, if you... If you go to some of the old New England churches, you can go inside, right? And there'd be these, you ever see the little box, boxes? And the family would be, I think it would keep them warm, 
but you know, you'd be kind of, this is like your box. This is the Hoyle box. <laughs> it's like a penalty box. <laughs> you know, that you, you just go and the whole family's there and, and, oh, what if the babies cry? Who cares? Like, let the babies cry. Maybe, you know, whatever, you know, take them in the side room for a few minutes and relax. But it was a family thing all together. And I wonder if our traditional children's church model is deficient as well. That, you know, for 16 years or 17 years, we have pushed our children to different rooms in the church building. Usually they're not the best rooms. It's like the wing, the basement, the, you know. Um, we, we, we put them, we separate them out and maybe 16 years of that message of them feeling like the adult experience and what happens in the sanctuary is not really for me. I'm not supposed to be there. I'm a distraction. Maybe they feel that. And maybe that's bearing fruit. And maybe that's part of why they're disappearing once they are out of the house. We need to figure out ways to make the kids feel the kingdom of God is for them, to make them feel like they're a part of this. But we've seen with this model few lasting conversions. Um, We've also seen with this model that it doesn't multiply, right? With this model, it's, it's kind of slow growing and then it plateaus. Or it's, you know, grows for a while, then begins to decline and then finally die. Or maybe it never grows, like a lot of the church plants, and then it just dies after four years or six years. Or there's like large growth, crazy growth, because there's so much charismatic gifting and money that goes into it. And then, as we've seen over and over and over again, when churches are ginormous, the personality that the whole thing is built around, you know, that person sins in some way, and what happens? It just explodes. Like the recent, you know, fairly recent Mars Hill uh, collapse, and how just, I mean, talk about the casualties that came out of that fiasco. The model isn't working. The church is in recession. It's headed for a crash. The present model is a sinking ship. So the question is, why would we follow this model? Right? That's what the pandemic did. Like, wait, why are we, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Is the question that I've been asking. Why do we do things the way we do things? Oftentimes we don't think about it because I don't know, this is what we're taught to do. This is what we're, you know, it's kind of like when I first became a Christian and I was taught to like throw out all of my secular music. I could shoot that person. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you know, it's just like you just, oh, okay, this is how, all right. You don't question things. It's just, this is just how it's done. This is just the way. But I think if we're going to be effective, we have to like rethink how we do church in the 21st century. How can we survive this coming evangelical crash, this recession 
this decline that we're in. I mean, obviously, obvious things would be be fervent in prayer. I mean, these are things that should be, these are things that we preach. These are things that we're, we're pretty good at, I think. Be fervent in prayer. Be solid in the word of God. Like, don't bend it. Don't dilute it. Don't act ashamed of certain aspects of the word of God. Just believe the word. I think that's important. Live holy, live pure, hate sin. Be devoted to the church. Value pastoral preaching. There's something different about hearing a message from your local pastor week after week after week. God is using that individual to shepherd the congregation. Value live worship. I mean, I could go on with a few more things, but I think these are, I just want to throw those out there, that these things have to happen. We can change a model, but if we're not you know, doing these essentials, we're really not going to, it's stupid. It's, you're not, it's, it's not just, oh, if we change the model, do, do things a different way, then it's going to be magic. No. Structures matter. But obviously, the heart behind it is critical. Well, like I said, I think we kind of hold to a more traditional model. We have the big Sunday show, the songs, the somewhat dynamic preacher, right? <laughs> um, you know. Is it working? That's the question. I mean, most at ran go to church maybe once a week, a couple times a month. But we find ourselves surrounded by strangers, by acquaintances. And I, I know this isn't true for some of you are so involved in the church and you really kind of know people really deeply. And so there, there are definitely exceptions, but I'm talking about the, the majority or a good half of the church at random. I'm speaking of us now. There's very little body ministry. If you go once a week, which is probably the average, some do more than that. Some are in small groups and things like that, but it's really a spectator thing. You know, you're you come, you listen to the word, and you worship God together in the community. It's awesome. You know, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But God has uniquely called every single one of you. He's put the Holy Spirit upon you, in you. He's given you gifting. You're a member of the body of Christ. Every single member is important. Every single member contributes. But where is there room, even at Rand, come out to be critical of ourselves, for contribution? Oh, sure, you can volunteer in the kids' church. We need people to do security. Uh, we need your money. Is that it? I mean, how long until that gets a little boring? Like, I think when we've been at our best, it's times we've done art installations Right? And all these giftings and talents come up and ideas and design ideas and all the, the administrative people come and just they, you know, they're doing their thing and the creative, not administrative people you know, are just like coming up with ideas and it all works together. It's like so beautiful. It's like body ministry. When we've done art installations, it's been probably about 100 people like working together to make something beautiful that can display the gospel. 
But in our normal times of doing church, there's not a lot of space for you to contribute. You know, what God is teaching you, what God is saying to you, the, the, you know, the spirit in you. When, when can you pray for people or speak something? I mean, I'm trying to make room for that. I've always tried to make room, but maybe we're above average in, in that sense. But we, we need to be more radical in that. You know, Wren Church is still very dominated by me. I'm the primary voice. And I, sure, I'm the senior pastor, so I, you know, I get that. I should be leading and casting vision and teaching and all that. But we need to figure out ways to be more of a body, more body ministry. You say, what about small groups? Yeah. We've tried small groups every single year, I think, since the beginning of the church. And they're good. They can be amazing. Some of you have been in just such great small groups. So they can work. But I would say usually less than half of the Wren community participates in small groups. Again, because people are busy. Um, and then even those who do participate are sporadic. Uh, sometimes a small group is just like 90-minute meeting where it's like you're listening to somebody teach for a little bit and then you know a little bit of prayer or whatever, and then it's over. It's not really like life together. I mean, it can be. Some small groups do evolve into that beautifully. But a lot of times it just feels like another thing to go to. It's not radical enough. What I want to say is we can't keep doing the same thing. I'm 54. That means I have 30 years left of ministry. <laughs> right, Mike? <laughs> I'm kidding, I hope. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I do. <laughs> but... I do not want, well, I'll say it this way. I've spent 20 years of my life doing this Wren Church. I don't want to spend another 20 doing the same things if it hasn't produced results. Again, has it been good? Have we done good? Th yeah, sure. Have we shared the gospel? Yeah, definitely. Have people grown in their faith? Have people like who are shaky in the faith gotten solid? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm not saying like we, everything is terrible. We're like the worst church in the world. We're not. We're actually a pretty missional church and we're very devoted to God. We're solid in the world. Like there's a lot of really good qualities about Ram. I'm just talking about structures, the model of how we do things. If the model isn't working, then we need to shift it. And, you know, are we, let's be honest, are we making disciples? I'm not talking about somebody who is already a Christian and they're a little undeveloped or younger in the faith or something, and you're, you know, kind of taking them under your wing. Yeah, sure, that's, I, I get that. That's part of discipleship. And I'm talking about, 
going out and making disciples, bringing people in from the outside who are secular or agnostic or nothing or whatever, and bringing them in and taking them under your wing and teaching them to do everything Jesus commanded. That is what we're talking about when we talk about our mission. Have we been successful in the last 20 years at that? Now, sure, we could, it would be kind of back to the blockbusters thing. You know, we could imagine like the last store that just, no, we're staying open. We're keeping this thing open because I've seen people come in the store on Friday night and buy a movie and go home and enjoy it and they say they love it. They are so thankful that blockbusters still exist. I don't want to be like that. Yes, some people come to Christ through the ways that we do ministry. But usually we look at water baptisms, right? Because that's the symbol of new birth. And so if somebody really comes to faith and is serious about Jesus, they will they will take the next step and get water baptized. Well, how many people have we baptized? Maybe a handful a year. Some years we didn't do any baptisms. Some year some years we did two. I would say on average, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to exaggerate or undermine it, but maybe a dozen a year. Now, I don't even think it's that. It's probably less than that. Maybe 10. But I'm talking about baptisms. And a lot of times people that are baptized, they already were Christian, but they needed to get baptized again for whatever reason, or they're making a recommitment. And then I would say two-thirds of the people that we've baptized on our stages, I don't even know where they are. They're gone. They fell away. So how many genuine, lasting conversions has Wren Church produced in two decades? I mean, these are the tough questions I'm asking myself. It is small. Now listen, I can spin, Ren has a great reputation. Oh, it's a cool church. It's like, oh, those guys are on fire. Man, we look good on paper. We look good, like word on the street around Rhode Island is like, this is a great church. But can we just get honest? How many genuine lasting conversions have we seen in two decades of ministry? And it's not because of lack of hard work, lack of prayer. I mean, think of how much money Wren Church has cost in two decades. Paying me, paying other staff, paying for buildings, renovations, insurances, chairs, stuff, equipment, We've spent millions of dollars. I'm just saying, like, we can't go back and change the past, but in the next 20, if we're going to spend millions of dollars on rent and staff and stuff related to rent church in the next 20 years, then can we do it in a way that's going to bear fruit? 
I'm not interested in wasting God's money. Oh, so much more I could say, but we need a fresh approach. This will be my last little paragraph here. My conclusion says, sometimes we can look at the trends in the evangelical church movement with its mega church models and react against it by wanting to just be a small church until Jesus returns. But I don't want us to be confused about the mandate from Jesus. We're called to grow and to multiply. We're, all, we're called to go out and make disciples. This thing should be growing. The greatest gauge of the health of a church is the disciples she is birthing and nurturing. That doesn't mean we're going to grow huge. I mean, hopefully we would send people out as missionaries or send people out on church planning teams. And so maybe we don't numerically grow really large, but I'm not concerned with that. I'm not trying to hoard, oh, let's become a church of 1,000 or 2,000 or whatever. It's not about that. But I want to end each year saying, wow, okay, we saw a good number of people come to Christ. I think we're small because we're clinging to a model of doing church that doesn't prioritize the Great Commission and does not reproduce. So next Sunday, don't miss. Today was all about deconstruction, <laughs> blowing things up. But next Sunday, I'm going to uh, lay before you some, some blueprints for how to do church in some new ways in the 21st century a church that flourishes and multiplies. As someone once said, in order to discover new oceans, we have to, lose, we have, to have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Right? Now, I'm not referring to Orthodox Christian doctrine, but just loosen our grip on traditional models. We have to erase the chalkboard and let, let God have the chalk and let him show us what to do. The reason, listen, the reason our grip is so tight on modern church models is because many, many of us were saved and nurtured by those models. They're dear to us. They're kind of nostalgic. We don't want to let them go. But we need to kind of come to that place of saying, no, this isn't about me. This is about my children. This is about the, this generation, this next generation coming up. How can we do this in a way? Maybe it's uncomfortable for me. Maybe I lose or have to give up some nostalgia for the sake of reaching people. If the traditional model is resulting in 70% of our children falling away, we need to rethink it. It's insanity to keep doing the same thing but expect different results in the next 20 years. My prayer for us is openness. Um, just that we would let go, hold loosely, and, and just kind of let God shape something 
that works. How many know God isn't mystified by what the best ways to do things would be for the next five years, the next year, the next 20 years? Like, he knows what would work and what wouldn't work. Um, But our job is to let him take the lead. I'm doing my best, along with elders and council, to discern what God is is telling us to do. Um, We're imperfect, so this will be a process. You know, what I pitch next Sunday won't be... um, it won't be a masterpiece. It'll be a rough draft that we can, you know, probably over time we'll tweak it, add to it, take away from it, shape it. But I'm going to set us on a different course next Sunday. All right, so don't miss next Sunday. Thanks for listening. I know that these talks, by the way, just get ready because they're going to be a little longer. They are. I'll... I'll preach easily for an hour each week. I was thinking about giving an intermission. <laughs> I don't know. You guys are pretty good, pretty good listeners. Um, but it's a little bit more like a lecture. I need the time. There's a lot to communicate. And I just, I need, I can't do these in 35 minutes. Um, so they're going to be longer. Gear up for that. Bring a granola bar. I don't care if you eat in the sanctuary. Bring a coffee. I don't care what you do. Just, you know, stay awake it's going to be a little longer. I get it. It's hard to listen sometimes for a long time, but uh, that's what you're getting in February. All right. <laughs> Love you guys. See you next week.